0: Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Burn and Return. We are going to be flying through a list of the headlines of the week with myself and my two lovely guests here. Uh, Mr. Demay, how are you doing in this last episode of your current abode?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's bittersweet, but it's time to move on and do something new, you know? So looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. And Ray, sir,
2: talk to me. How are you? Well, it's uh Sunday afternoon where I'm at, uh, Sun is not out, so I'm kind of sitting pretty right at the moment.
0: (laughs) That sounds nice, and you know it's funny in the in the in the little pre-show talky bit. uh, It was uh, (laughs) I asked Ray what he was up to, and he held up a plate of homemade biscuits, and I gotta say, it looked so delicious. And, you know, back to this kind of underlying conversation we continue to have about Ray actually being from the South, even though he resides in Hawaii. He is Southern, by the grace of God. And uh, to prove it, he had a plate of homemade biscuits.
2: Yeah, I decided that uh, after working all morning, I needed a snack to go with my afternoon coffee. So uh, biscuits in oven before uh, before 2 p.m., <laughs> <Or each> <laughs> <own>. <laughs> right. <coughs> I'm
0: glad you're here, sir. And May, you too. So, we're going to go ahead and jump into this week's headlines. Just the news it is in headline number one we are covering is uh, an article coming out of California and the headline reads development of a statewide pesticide notification system moves forward the California Department of Pesticide Regulation known as the DPR is moving forward which is I, I'm going to make a note right now that sounds a little bit similar to uh, the uh, what, what do they what do they call North Korea the um, uh the what is it the, the dprk yes the dprk
2: the the interesting the california DR, is DR.
0: so closely aligning themselves with North Korea that's a joke by the well, way that was totally yeah
2: a joke. I, I get I get the joke because uh <laughs> I watch what California does because as an aside Matt anything California does he goes ahead and adopts it, and then doubles down on it,
0: <laughs> which is interesting. And I think in this article we can talk about some of those things. Um, they are moving forward with the process of developing a statewide pesticide notification system. Effectively, what this does uh, 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 is it would notify surrounding areas of when a pesticide application is made. I quote here from the article: What could could the cons What could the system consist of? What should it look like? When should it kick in? Is it all chemicals? Is it just restricted use chemicals? Should it apply to any type of application? Is it a ground rig or is it only aerial application? Applications should it be if I'm a half mile away or anywhere within the state? Now. I got to say that the problem that they ran into is that when they announced these, people showed up in protest of the applications. And I don't know about where you live, but here's the thing. If there is someone physically in the way when you are going to make an application, that creates a problem because you're exposing someone to pesticides, right? And as responsible use applicators, that's something we are very in tune with, keenly aware of. And it's not rude in that instance to say to someone that walks out to you when you're attempting to make an application to say, "Hey, go back inside. I'm applying. You don't need to be out here right now." And so, even though they're there to protest, at the same time, you're not going to stop a farmer from from making an, an application. And so, they need to know that they need to maintain a certain level of safe distance, or just go away, or they don't need to know when this is going to take place. Maybe they could be notified after the fact, right? So. Here they say that primarily this is a paramount concern for farmers and ranchers. However, there are questions as to the necessity of pesticide notification system that covers the state in its entirety. In a recent group meeting, the question of incident data showing for a need a statewide approach was asked. ISM said that barring evidence from an actual legitimate need that is backed by data, a statewide notification system would cause more harm than good. I quote, nobody in this country has a pesticide reporting system like California does. Nobody in this country has an approval system, especially for restricted use materials like California does. We do it as safe as anyone in the world. I can guarantee you that. And he ends this. They're trying to find a problem where one doesn't exist. So we're pushing back on it. Thank God. Uh, I think this is absolutely insane to have a notification system like this. Um, We maintain records as applicators that are inspected by the Department of Agriculture. That's a fairly tight level of oversight that we undergo. Some states have a little bit more budgets to better enforce this than other states. I can say at Tennessee, uh, I was inspected a minimum of once a year where my pesticide inspector would come in, go through my paperwork, tell me what I did right, tell me what I did wrong, allow me to make adjustments, use it as a teaching moment. It wasn't a 15 minute meeting. It was a two hour meeting, two and a half hour meeting. And they were genuinely there to help to make sure the products I was supplying I was doing so safely, at rates that were safe, and that I was up to in tune. I'm up to date and in tune with everything else going on in the surrounding area that I can be aware of. For instance, the state is prosecuting this person for making these infractions. Be aware of it, that it's a sensitive issue right now. Like for instance, there for a while, one of the big things they were enforcing was people spraying uh, uh, glyphosate, landscapers spraying glyphosate in flip flops, right? And uh, the majority of the time, what was big, what was big, being pushed in our area was not Ranger Pro, Pro was not Roundup Pro, it was uh, Roundup uh, Quick Pro, right? So the one would die, in these. These guys are out there barefoot spraying Diquat and glyphosate, right? And it's not the glyphosate aspect of it that's so uh, uh, mind-numbing. It's the Diquat piece of it that is incredibly risky and dangerous. And beyond just health and unhealthy, now we're moving into territory of dangerous. I digress. All of that to say, we have layers of insulation upon us already is it necessary for us to have a reporting system that is going to notify surrounding areas? I believe New York does the same thing too, where you have to notify people within a certain vicinity. Um, is it is it necessary? Is this the appropriate action? Is this the appropriate reaction to whatever perceived threat that they see right now?
2: Uh, I don't think so. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> you know what I think this is, Matt? this is just a move to do what i call is a de facto virtual ban on any kind of pesticide application that's what it looks like because like you described what happens when a million and one protesters show up at a golf course or show up at a private property or show up on a farm to protest a scheduled application, and it can't be done. And of course, you insert uh, that fact that you can't exactly tell them, no, you have to leave, because then you are then violating their First Amendment rights. I mean, this just turns into a shed fire. I mean, because for me, I hear what you're saying about how the industry is scrutinized rather heavily, as is because uh, I have two-hour meetings with the Hawaii Department of Agriculture as well, and they end well, provided that they don't find any patterns of violation. So, yeah, I don't, and th- I-, I don't think, uh, I don't think that this is needed. <laughs>
0: And I think that that is the 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 premise and uh, the 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 reasoning behind the Department of Agriculture doing that is to look for uh, trends in the wrong direction, right? Ryan, do you Mm -hmm. get? uh, Have you had to deal with the Department of Agriculture on these types of things? And I know in your area where you live, I've I've heard about you having to help write certain things. uh, of uh uh you know reduce risk uh pesticide applications and stuff like that where, where where does this fall in on your scale is it necessary is this something you want to see in your area
1: uh, no I, you know here's the thing is that it, let's just say let's take this public private right because you know there's a lot of you know turf applications that are done on public ground right less so than what happens on private you know property and so in those cases i don't understand the need, other than, you know, we have, there is, uh, I know it's a law in Pennsylvania. I think it's a law in Ohio here too, that if you, if you have high sensitivity and you live adjacent to a property that will apply, uh, pesticides, for example, that you can ask, ask them to furnish you written notice within 24 hours. But that's only if you have a note from a doctor stating what condition you have, that would make you highly sensitive to Certain applications. This thing is, you know, kind of like Big Brother, right? And uh, you know, I don't think anybody in our industry that's reputable and knows what they're doing, right, and isn't out there uh, spraying uh, one day and one day only in twenty-five mile an hour winds. But anybody else that's sane and uh, practices, you know, good sound agronomy is doing the right thing already. Like what you just said, Matt and Ray, right? So what's the need for this extra layer of scrutiny to let everybody know ahead of time what you're doing? I just I don't get this um I agree with what the you know what the article says about creating a problem that's not there. Tell me what you're going to do with this information and with this data, right? That will help us become better applicators, right? And surely with that outcome in mind, there's got to be a better way to to get to that point. Like we've got this just seems like it's really far reaching. And there probably are some more common sense approaches to even try and and get there first before we invest $10 million and take this step. And let's just be honest here. It's going to cost more than $10 million. Like there's just no way a state of what? 50 million people, right? There's no way that this is only going to cost that. And you got to think too, that, you know, California, there's, there's a metric thrust ton of pesticides going down in California. Right. And the other thing too, Ray, you might know a little bit more about this, but uh qualified application, uh, I can't remember what it's called, QAC, right, out in California. They have some of the most stringent testing and licensing standards in the country. So why Certif- lump the all certified- this other stuff on there?
2: Yeah, the certified test advisors, they are like basically under a microscope and they've got the proctoscope uh, also inserted in the correct place. So they are <laughs> under serious scrutiny now, as is let me tell you tell you guys something about Hawaii law. Did you know that, as is records of application are basically public knowledge once they now, have- transfer from my hands into the Department of Agriculture's hands or say uh, Monsanto or Syngenta with their seed corn operation, they transfer their records over to the Department of Agriculture. Those records become public information. And here's where it goes bad. Then that information is taken out of context, for example, because what happened in Hawaii is For example, people got all freaked out because they said, oh, my God, I don't believe these seed corn producers, they're using restricted-use pesticides. What are they doing? This is near my kids. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, guys, guess what classifies as a restricted-use pesticide in the ag world?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's got to be some heavy, heavy stuff.
2: No, no, not even heavy stuff. Okay, here, guess what's used in cornfields? Bifenthrin, cypermethrin, permethrin, uh, lambda cyhalothrin, and when those are labeled for large-scale agricultural use, they are all federal RUP. Matt.
1: Oh, I did
0: not know that. That actually makes sense because I had somebody ask me about a bifenthrin formulation that was an RUP, and uh, I did not know why. I was like, that's bizarre. Uh, But that makes, that makes great sense now.
2: Okay, when a pyrethroid product is labeled specifically for use in residential lawn care or residential pest control, it is not an RUP. But yep. once it is labeled for application to field crops, it's federal. It's federal art restricted use. So that you know, I, the only very thing, subject go ahead. became a became the subject of a big freakout, and that's why there's no more seed corn production in Hawaii. It's all gone.
1: Here, Here's my question, and I know we've talked about it, you know, in, in certain senses of just how mission critical, right, what agriculture truly is, right, to this country in particular, but really the world at large is, you know, when, uh, you know, to what lengths do we go to protect, uh, and I'm not saying just, you know, shit on the environment, that's not what I'm saying. Just saying, at what point do you protect these just like any other basic utility that we have, like the electrical grid or like uh, our water sources and things like that, right? I know some of those kind of go hand in hand. There's some interplay there, but people being able to go onto private land and shut something down because they were notified by a government reporting agency that something lawful, something lawful that they didn't agree with was going to go down. I don't know. I mean I uh, I I agree with, you know, the, the first amendment right to protest, right to gather, to assemble, all that kind of stuff, but we're not talking about the Nazi rally
3: here, right? I don't know.
1: It 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 really rose me wrong I think about, you know, some of the unintended causes. But we'll see right in California, baby.
0: Well, in the in the love and vein of Big Brother and the All-Watching Eye, our next article comes out of India, and uh, boy oh boy, Amazon Retail launches agronomy services to empower farmers with technology. Sounds great, oh, right? Cool. Amazon Retail has launched its agronomy services to empower farmers through an initiative that gives them timely advice and enables them to make accurate decisions on actions required for their crops. This includes introducing machine learning technology to better produce and build a robust supply chain infrastructure. We're excited by the role we can play in empowering Indian farmers in the agricultural community through pioneering technology that improves farm yield quality of fruits and vegetables. Part of this whole thing is not only are they provide, acting as a certified crop advisor, uh, they are also working to um, improve the refrigerated supply chain uh, issues that are, currently exist in India, right? So less spoilage, less waste. Amazon is coming in. They're going to solve the world's problems as related to agriculture, gentlemen. This Listen, I've got, I've got, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I do not, I don't want to be that guy. I do not want to be that guy, and I don't want to sound overly conspiratorial.
1: It's a safe space, Matt. Please be that
0: guy. Amazon is moving into pharmaceuticals, I believe. That's one of the, the talks yes, I hear are. on on a lot okay. of the uh, uh, the stock market channels. Right now, they're go- So we've got healthcare. Home goods and now agriculture. Uh, they've moved into groceries well too, right? So, at what point are they actually trying to take over our life? Because clearly they they are now influencing literally every facet of it.
1: Like twenty years ago, they started. I mean, really. But where does it stop? I mean, where 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 does it stop? <laughs> You got you got to give these credit though. Give them credit though. This is like That's brilliant. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's by my shit on a whole nother level, right? Right? <laughs>
2: yeah, like it's brilliant.
1: Somebody, somebody. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I, I'll do all due respect in the world to develop an app and push out you know needless product alerts and give you links to soil test results that you don't need and stuff that you don't want. Bezos is doing this before you even think about it. You don't even need. Somebody else's shitty app for turf because Bezos is going to come in here and just feed
2: it to you, right? Yes, it's coming. Yes, and no. Yes, and no, because you see, I really don't care too much about Amazon right now because to Amazon's credit, they are not dictating policy. You see they're they're staying in their lane and they're just providing sales and service because for example, my signal that Amazon is dictating policy, for example, is when they go in and you see all of those uh, listings for you know insecticides and herbicides you know here in the United States when when Amazon goes in there and yanks all of it because they deem that it doesn't meet environmental standards, for example, that's when I've got a problem. But Amazon, to date, has stayed out of it. However, you know, on my side, I'm always wondering, how in the world do people get their hands on some of the stuff that they, you know, are applying? and. You know what? It's possible to get MSME on Amazon.
1: <laughs> well, maybe maybe some of the corporate conscience comes from the fact that they pay, you know, like no no corporate taxes or anything like that, but yeah, hey, I'll give them credit. You know, they they do a lot of good in the sense that uh they've they've changed commerce, you know, forever, right? And that's going to bleed down into, like what Matt was saying. Everything that we see, touch, and buy, right, or any way that we can be influenced to buy something, and that's just going to be the way it is. Um, I, you know, I don't here
0: know, and just uh, another you know. another positive look on it, I guess too is you know they, you know, what they did as far as market research, they may have identified that they can increase food production out of India by X number of percent. That's going to help poverty by X number of percent, improve health and quality of life by X number of percent, and you know if if the 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 altruism there, um, you know, kind of kind of maintains and they are able to deliver on that, and you know, because here's the thing, really, when it comes down to agronomy, basically, whenever you're dealing with uh, any kind of advisor or consultant or whatever the case may be, everyone has kind of their own spin on it right? Even if you're looking at the same data sets, there's there's a little bit of variability that can take place just based on one's experiences and education. It influences the way you do. Who's going to standardize that? Is it going to be standardized? Is it going to be standardized at the individual who's actually doing the training? Or is it going to be standardized by Amazon? How is Amazon going to standardize that? What data sets are they using? Are they using Um, you know, BMPs from agricultural universities. Are they doing their own proprietary set of BMPs from, uh, you know, uh, Ola Lala Wawa Wawa Washington or whatever, whatever that place is, has all their proprietary (laughs) stuff out there. You know, is it is it going to be secretive? Is it going to be public? Is it open source? (laughs) You know how how does how does all all of that look? And so it's definitely something I I for sure want to pay attention to and how it kind of shapes um, what what those, what those programs uh, you know, how, how they're shaped out as they, as they develop. Um, Also, having nothing to do with any of the conspiracy ideas that we may have tap dance around there. We do have some positive news and we'll just kind of hit the highlights right now, but we'll do a little bit deeper dive when we get to the returns because I did some fairly deep research into this, but the headline reads hemp plants pull forever chemicals from soils boys are PFAs and we've got a bit of a solution activists, scientists, and members of the Mi'kmaq nation are working together to rid some of the indigenous tribes land of toxic forever chemicals by having hemp plants pull them straight from the soil. We all know PFAs are a problem. That is why biosolids have come under scrutiny over the last couple of years and will continue to, to the point where they'll no longer be a viable fertilizer source, in my opinion. Um, What they have started studying is, well, what if we use, there are certain plants out there that do a good job of actually taking up PFAs. Now, what we have to be careful is, is that we are not ingesting those things that contain PFAs, right? Uh, But is there something we can use to grow that can go into industry or whatever the case may be, where we can pull these out of the soil to keep them as productive and eventually be able to grow food on them again in the event we need to hemp may be the answer guys i'm a big fan of hemp production i think it's uh i think it's something that that every country should look at that's capable of growing it um you know for its many uses and i'm not saying just purely for that we need to get everybody on cbd or thc right but I'm saying from the standpoint that the versatility of the crop in general is extremely high, and uh, and if it can bring value to an area that's contaminated with PFAS, why not? This is great. This is good positive news, right?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Now, when you have hemp, you know, grown on on land. To take up the PFAs, does that then mean that that hemp is then usable in, say, a non-food or non-edible type of a scenario? Because for decades, I've heard about, like, hemp rope, for example. And, yeah. And sandals, plus, man. And the other... Sandals. Uh, and, you know, every day, I feel... Guilty as hell. Do you know why I feel guilty as hell? Uh no.
1: If you connect yeah, there's a joke death right there's here, a I'm, gonna joke be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna
2: be blown away. No. No, it's because every day I put on I put on my jeans. They're made out of cotton. I put on my undershirt made out of cotton, and then I put on my outer shirt made out of cotton. And I know what an environmental catastrophe cotton production can be.
3: Ray,
0: you need to wear the same undershirt I wear, um, which is 100% organic USDA uh, Angus beef mat.
2: (laughs) Unfortunately, on the
0: word "mat" there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Only thing is, is that uh, I don't know what I'm gonna have to do to grow that kind of a fur sweater.
1: I was gonna say you're, you know, you got a pretty good little, you got a pretty good uh, chest hair leotard there. That's pretty form fitting. I'd stick. It's almost that. touching my you? neck
0: beard. I'm almost there, boys. I'm inches away.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe we can get some tr- some plugs for you. We'll, we'll take yeah. up a collection. Put right uh, here loves? on the
0: crown of my head, so I look less pious. I I'm <laughs> beginning to look like a, a a monk or something. So we need to solve that issue well, like, first. Well,
2: yeah. Well, like one of the Jesuit brothers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I went to a De La Salle school. The Jesuits are tainted. Changed my mind. Mm. Um. <laughs> Anyway, we'll deep dive into that because I did a lot of research into plants that absorb PFAS. So we'll kind of move on to that. But I, it's important that we touch on this right here, and that is this week's sponsors. Look, guys, we don't want to reach out to uh, uh, Bayer and Syngenta, and you know, make promises that you know, hey, look, if you buy um, my Headway G and apply it to your dollar spot, it may not do anything for you, but Uh, It's the best option I got because you can use my link down in the description below. Or (laughs) if I'm trying to tell you that, you know, your lawn is drought stress and we need to fix it, I don't have to sell you a bag of seed aid, 10 bags of seed aid, some extra peat moss to go along with it, four bags of fertilizer, six bags of seed, a a spreader, and uh, a a bad application of herbicide, uh, some liquid aeration, and all that other fun stuff. Just I got a finger up. I'm going to
1: pause. You, you,
0: tell me, Ryan. Tell me.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, honestly, I'd just buy both. I'd recommend both.
0: <laughs> we don't want to do that. And so the way we're able to not do that is by continued support of our sponsors. This week's sponsors, number one, is Field Source Ohio. Listen, there are real deal things going on out here in the world. And there are real deal people that solve these issues when it comes to turf crafts management field source. Ohio is all of your sports field construction and management needs in one place. This is not just a typical consultant type of role. This is someone with decades of experience in the industry who can manage every aspect of whatever project you have going on. Guys, If you're in the sports turf world, if you're in the ultra high-end lawn care world, if you undergo projects, real-deal projects in turf grass management, this is who you need to talk to. If you're serious about growing your business, if you are serious about uh, uh, providing a level of service that is not seen in the industry right now at scale, this is who you need to talk to. FieldSourceOhio.com. You can sign up for a free consultation. Look, J-Pink uh-huh. is showing us right here exactly how easy it is. All you need is your name, your email address, phone number, and you know, you can narrow it down. You know, give them, give them a little bit of information there on the types of services that you're looking to, to get out there. Fieldsourceohio.com. Go out there, show some support because <laughs> they support burn and return. This is also sponsored by Subvert Nutritionals. Uh, subvertmpk.com. Uh, if you are into cannabis growing, uh, it's something that we have been working on for, uh, the, at least the last couple of years trying to dial this in. And, uh, so head on over there, Subvertmpk.com. If you're into lawn care, there's some different things we do on the lawn care side as well. And, uh, so if you're into purchasing individual inputs, if you're looking for blended products, if you're looking for micronutrients, if you're looking for amino acids, I'd say there's a little bit of something for everybody there. Check it out, subvertmpk.com. Also, lastly, hone health. Boys, get swole. Just kidding. Get checked. Make sure your testosterone levels are in check because here is what you could be suffering from and have no idea that you're actually suffering. Symptoms of low testosterone, fatigue, sexual problems, right? Things that we don't necessarily want to talk about that can potentially happen. Now, if you drink a fifth of whiskey and you tell me you're having problems uh, with, your, with your manhood, chances are we can point that to the fifth of whiskey you consume. But if that's not what you're doing and you're suffering from problems, it could be a symptom of low testosterone. Are you tired? so tired at the end of the day that you just don't have what it takes to be there, to be present and cognizant of your family or your loved ones or your partner around you? If for $45, you can get tested and find out exactly the information you need to know to understand that is it just a symptom of getting older, and is there something you can do about it? I've undergone the testing. I got the answers I needed. I had incredibly low testosterone for my age. I met with a doctor. Real doctors, real science, real solutions. HoneHealth.com forward slash the grass factor. All right, gentlemen, let's move into this week's burns gentlemen right out of the gate get it started pick up your torches because here we are man florida man intentionally hit alligator with lawnmower destroyed active nest wildfire wildlife officials say Daytona Beach, Florida. What a fine area Florida, man. in the United States that is. Uh, a man operating a tractor mower is accused of dropping the mower blades on a 6-foot alligator and destroying an active gator nest in Daytona Beach, according to investigators with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. The FWC was called to a property on North tomoka Farms Road on June 10th at 11:16 a.m. for an injured alligator. A witness told wildlife officials he saw a large tractor with a mower attachment clearing brush around a retention pond. The witness stated he saw the driver scare off a six-foot alligator by hitting the water with the mower blades and then continue on. However, the alligator crawled back onto the bank, and the tractor operator then turned around and drove back towards the creature, according to the arrest report. The witness said the driver again tried to scare the alligator back into the water, but when the alligator moved farther up the bank the driver dropped the mower deck on top of the alligator where it was found with mortal wounds later on. Um, Guys, listen. Yeah, I know nobody wants to hang out with an alligator. They're not exactly uh, uh, tame, domesticated animals. Seriously. Don't just go dropping your mower on a fucking alligator.
1: This this I'm I'm this is a clickbaity type article title here, right, Ray? That's not a fucking lawn mower. Yeah. That's somebody's brush clearing thing. And then how does lawn get lumped into that, right, Matt? It's just the worst of the worst, how does, how right? Does it all... We we just
2: Yeah. Having said that
1: You see Ray you see Ray rolling up there with a cat 310L rolling it off his low boy trailer and just Just mowing the lawn in like, five swipes. You don't even have to get off the road, Ray. Like, that thing's got a 36-foot reach.
2: I don't, but, uh, you know, what a sick-ass puppy. Because here's here's the one line that I don't cross. And you know what that line is? What's that? Cruelty to animals.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think when he goes... That's it. I think when this it's just, guy just a ends no, up and
2: no go for me. It's just the a correctional no go system, for me because,
1: anything involving kids or animals, I gotta imagine you're gonna have a pretty rough time problems
2: you're gonna have problems yeah. because you know what? uh you're gonna have all of these hardcore guys, but they have a soft spot for either kids. Or animals of all types, and he will be singled out as the sickle that cut open an alligator's back and left it to die.
1: Yeah, he's going to probably learn how he's to not- operate a, a tenant zero-term in a prison cell.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Business <kind of> it. <laughs> I
0: I, I hate to see it, and I... I'd, trust me. I'm, I'm redneck, I'm white trash, you know, and it's, <laughs> I, I can understand what was going through this guy's head when he thought that it was a good idea to drop a mower deck on top of a gator. Um, he's like, shit. the only good gator is a <laughs> dead gator. My daddy told me I can hear it now. How many, how many,
1: that guy was, how many times have you he's heard Florida that, state, man. you know? He's a Florida
3: State fan. That was what it was. All this was.
1: (laughs) You just,
0: you can't, you can't do that. Know know your local laws and regulations and stay. stay. I mean, dude, you're in Florida. You hear this stuff preached in your head. You know damn well. You just can't go out there and drop a mower on a gator. Um, Here's something you can drop a mower on. Bill banning gas-powered lawn equipment heads to uh, Governor Newsom, who may or may not be around much longer. The state legislator (laughs) passed a bill this week phasing out the sale of new gas-powered outdoor power equipment by 2024 or a date determined by California's air regulators. Leaf blowers, lawnmowers, and other equipment with small gas-powered engines emit staggering levels of air pollution. These noisy machines are terribly disruptive to communities across California, and the workers who breathe in exhaust from this equipment day in and day out face disproportionate health risks, including asthma, cardiovascular disease and cancer meanwhile advances in lithium battery technology are powering the popularity of electric landscape equipment for example briggs and stratton whose name is synonymous with small gas engines offers a mower battery that it says provides reliable performance easy starting and long run time for more efficient and enjoyable mowing experience the <laughs> nice thing here i guess if there is a nice thing the bill earmarks $30 million in the state budget to help small businesses purchase zero-emission replacements.
1: Are you fucking Gentlemen. kidding me? $30 million? Hey, yeah, here's... Hey. hey, Ray, we got you How much you of a dent is here. that going to help? Wait, wait, wait. You said $30 million?
3: So, yep, uh, I got, to
2: help I got small go. businesses
0: purchase zero-emission that, that, replacements. That, that's $30 million that, that's a drop divided the, by...
1: That's a drop in the bucket. $300. That's a drop in the... That's 100000 of those little ego... Blowers from Home Depot, you know. So mm-hmm. um I can't imagine well, uh, ego, is like, than, go ahead. ego is more than ego is more than three hundred dollars for the push.
3: Mm-hmm. The push more? No no no, like... no,
1: no, no. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the, the little the little handheld blower. Oh yeah, okay. uh, yeah. push more. Yeah, push mower is about four five hundred bucks. Yeah, and I don't even know what the zero find, turn is. Uh, look up uh, Mean Green real quick, J. Pink Mean Green mowers. Okay. I demoed one of these this? things two mm. or three years ago. It it was pretty pretty BA. It was pretty badass. Um okay. they've got the solar thing now that they add to it that I'm not sure that you're really getting a whole lot of advantage out of it, but as far as like number one quality of cut and two like I mean, the sales rep told me about it and I was just like, "Man, this thing's not going to do it." <laughs> and You know, we went out. We chopped down some tall, thick stuff. Ray. Now, again, I understand in your neck of the woods that this isn't probably your cup of tea. But at least, you know, California, other places like that, they could probably get by with some of this stuff. The zero turn—I want to say it was sixty or sixty-one inches, something like that. And we had oh, they got a seventy-four now there too. Okay. Oh my
0: God! I just saw the price tag.
1: Oh, it's not cheap. Oh, how much? What do you got for the 70, what do you which one are you looking at? I'm looking at the Evo
0: 74 a 2020 version is $40,000. That
2: sounds about oh right. Oh lord. Oh lord. And so, a stand on
0: 4852 stalker is $20,000.
2: Yikes.
1: Now. Yikes. Now. It's easy to get freaked out about that. I'm going to play sales rep. We're going to we'll role play this one.
3: Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah <laughs> safe words,
1: safe words, pineapple juice. Remember, if you want to tap out pineapple juice, pineapple juice. <laughs> the um, you got to look at what your savings though on fuel, right? Yeah, parts, downtime, all that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, I, I that's what I told the guy. I said, you'd have to let me lease this from you for a year, right? to let me figure out if it was financially feasible right now you've got electric costs right but that's still much cheaper now in california i don't know what the electric rates are i don't know any of that stuff i'm just saying that again it's great to say that hey we're going to phase this stuff out we're going to get rid of it we're going to do all this but like what are the downstream effects and let's be honest too like who comes out and enforces that you know hey bill's landscaping oh wait that's uh that's the, that steel BR six hundred? Nope, gotta get rid of that. Like what's that gonna be like? I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not okay. sure how this all goes down.
2: Here's my here's my question. Now if they're targeting like blowers and string trimmers and even like the four cycle gas engines on mowers... Here's the thing that I think I told you folks previously. I cannot stand the smell of gasoline. I hate it. Sure. Having said that, all of my equipment is tuned and operated in such a way that there's no smoke. There's no gasoline smell. And I'm talking about high-powered gas engine equipment. So... What is, the, what is the problem? I mean, wh- where is this alleged pollution coming from? Because I don't, uh, I don't see it unless, of course, uh, let's see, you have all of these landscape people that have this one, uh, Ryan. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember something called Lawn Boy Two-Cycle Oil. That they used to market oh, yeah. for their two cycle, okay. I remember seeing that in like a twenty four pack, like it was almost like a, a a a case of my father's Budweiser. You know, just the cans all lined up in a cardboard box.
1: <laughs> but remember, they used to be little metal that, cans with the pop top. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, you throw that can into five gallons of gas. And you run that in something like a weed eater, Mm -hmm. goodness gracious me, the smoke, the fumes, and the smell. It was disgusting.
1: Uh, Ray, I don't know if you, this is, I mean, not in warm season country, probably, but here in Midwest United States, the Lawn Boy 21, with the, you know, you had one wheel that was set back from the other on the right hand side, did that shoot. And then it had the bagger that hung from this little arm that came out from, going down from the handle. It like that was legitimately like the Toyota actually, Camry or Honda cord of mowers. Like everybody and their brother had that mower. It had that. I just like to press the primer ball because it felt so good. It just it was like ASMR <laughs> for your finger, man. It just felt actually, good to press actually, that Ryan, and feel actually, that thing squirt. Oh. Seriously, everything about that mower was perfect, and it was thirty-two to one, Ray. That thing ran so rich. You fire that thing up, <laughs> exactly. the Smoke goes in your face. You breathe <laughs> that in like you, like a man, Ray. Like like the actually the smoke from Ryan, China, cheap Chinese fireworks on Fourth of July. You just
2: <sighs> yeah. Oh, su- yeah. Suck that in. Well, by the way, Ryan, you know that that lawn boy mower that actually yeah. had wide usage here in Hawaii. For a long time, and you know why it had wide usage, Uh,
1: because because it would operate.
2: (laughs) No, because it would work on grades and inclines where a mower that needed oil in the crankcase would no longer operate. So you know, like people trying to trying to cut weeds, uh, literally on a Mm forty-five degree grade, a lawn boy two-cycle engine. Is your ticket because you can't do that to a Honda GX engine because the oil would your little
1: flapper run up. your little flapper is not going to keep up. You need the old reed valve in there on the two cycle.
2: Yeah, exactly. Have exactly. Flashba-
1: having flashbacks to small engines class.
2: Exactly. So you know, kind of
0: playing off some comments I was reading from other people there. All right, so we'll say sure. an entry level mower that we're dealing with here um, that is uh, non gas consuming is a we'll say it's eighteen thousand dollars is uh, is kind of is kind of where you're starting you know for your typical forty eight fifty two inch mower. Where right now you know you can get a walk behind for uh what three four thousand dollars um sure so
1: five yeah
0: pretty 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 significant yes yeah, but especially with price increases now um yeah, and let's say is. you spend three grand a year in uh in in gas for that mower three to five thousand a year in fuel for that mower that's kind of looking into that to see what it average was per mower um so one mower one weed eater one blower you're typically between three and five thousand dollars a year um You know, now my other follow up question would be how long do these batteries last? Uh, They have a shelf life. No, 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 no. Uh, There's Uh the lifetime of the batteries. You know, I think about even a cell phone under high usage. Um, After a solid 16 to 18 months, Um, you know, the, the ability for my phone to hold a charge and I am an incredibly heavy user. I'm a power user. You know, I run businesses off my phone all day long. Um, you know, I, I average, you know, there for a while I was getting over a hundred phone calls a day this time, two years ago. I mean, it was absolutely insane how much I use the phone, but in 18 months, I couldn't hold a charge longer than four hours out of the day. What happens to these hours? used in a commercial capacity under these types of circumstances, especially if you're in areas of the country where you're not mowing, uh, you know, you may be doing more brush cutting or you may be working in a, a um, and I I hate to put it this way, but a lower income neighborhood where you're not cutting just Bermuda grass or just fescue or just zoysia, where you're cutting, you know, 80% Dallas grass and whatever else is just growing in it. Right. So, The barrier to entry to getting into the industry is going to be much higher. The mm -hmm. cost to operate within the industry would be probably about the same um, averaged out over the lifespan of the batteries. And then the cost to make repairs is going to go up in the event you have some sort of internal replacement that needs to take place. Because I would put on part that... Uh, it's cheaper to replace a gas engine than it would be to replace the battery cells that go into these things. Could be wrong, but you would also have to be an electrician to make these optimizations or changes rather than a, uh, a, 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 grease
1: monkey. Yep, Can't be the guy in the of parking lot, right?
2: No, nope. And, and I got another question for you. I'm familiar with, The reliability of the California power grid. Mm. Uh, How does this work when PG&E has to shut down because their equipment is sparking wildfires?
1: I'll tell you how, Ray. You charge it up with a gas power generator.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. And because here's my, here's my you know, little, little issue with anything battery-powered. To me, battery-powered vehicles and battery-powered engine replacements, such as lawn equipment, it's doing two things. It's outsourcing and exporting all of the pollution. So, you, the end user, are not creating a lot of pollution. Instead, the pollution is in the form of that miner in South America or China working under extremely hazardous and unregulated conditions, mining things like lithium, nickel, uh, cadmium, and rare earth metals for the uh, Magnetic permanent magnet motors, and then pollution is in the form of how do those batteries get charged unless your power grid is 100% solar, wind, or non fossil fuel? And I I think about that anytime, anytime somebody brings up something battery operated. I'm going to
1: send JPEG this link real quick? If I can find picture of this, so this
0: is you know the 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 battery power thing. Listen, I'm all in favor of being able to move over to battery powered things. You know, I love Teslas. I love the idea of battery powered cars. I still think you know, as we move up the supply chain uh, in this quest of being zero emissions, are we still actually making an improvement, or are we just shifting it from The emissions existing in the united states or is it moving to increased emissions where we're mining the lithium is it putting additional strain on our power grid that's increasing emissions to offset the emissions that we were generating in one place now it's just coming from another place you know right, th- that is my question and there there may be more and more data that comes out of this that points to you know a net reduction of one percent or two percent and that may be you know what everybody's looking for and if we achieve that, that's it or is it going to turn into one of those things where we start going up the supply chain and we're like, well, now all of a sudden we have you know Tom Tom screwed ourselves because no matter how we go about solving this emission <laughs> issue, it's still coming from somewhere, right? it's just where it used to be from all the gas powered cars now it's from all the damn mines that we have trying to you know go after these rare earth metals to keep everything going because you think about it these are more computer chips that have to be out there you know more silicon it it goes ape shit in every which way imaginable a lot more copper on these on these pieces we got to have copper for days to run all the damn wiring for it you know what i mean then how do we yeah. increase the efficiency on the copper wire production? And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I want to know what that looks like, but I'm not going to say that I'm, ag- I'm against battery powered equipment for that. What I am against is the government banning it. Um, right. I'm okay. what in the
3: yeah.
2: hell
0: is this Ryan? This is hang on. Ray, this is a look radio this. visual. Radio. <laughs> no, I know what the,
2: I know exactly what this is. Yeah, if you're listening, this is oh shit, Steel's version of some very high powered battery operated equipment. You see that operator basically has several pounds of lithium batteries
1: 22 pounds, that exact. Yeah, it's a 22 and pound so, battery pack. So Math, look at Steel AR3000.
2: Yeah, so he can plug in that uh, that power tool in his hand and you know work for I guess a number of hours. Now, my question again is, okay, where does the electricity to recharge that come from? Okay, where does where does that electricity come from? Because you know me being the eccentric mad scientist. I want to go totally Jetsons and have a Toro Greensmaster with the with the E-Drive, except mm-hmm. you know what's powering that E-drive?
1: Hydrogen fuel cell.
2: No. Thorium Water. or plutonium. Oh, Lord have
1: mercy, Ray.
2: Thorium Ray. or plutonium. Send Ray, it. Ray, <laughs> we
0: are on a short leash as it is.
3: How? <laughs>
0: Fishing long. What's care. crazy is that I know Ray would be like, All right, guys, I got my order of plutonium in. It'd be like, What you got? What in? Yeah, I got my plutonium <laughs> in. We're not going to say how I got it, but I got it. And boys, it's on. My mower is running like a dream.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that is the only way I see out of this current issue of electric and battery-operated equipment creating the equivalent amount of carbon emissions and pollution. I mean, if someone were to be truly honest about electrical stuff, we have to look at, okay, what do we have to burn normally to make that electricity to charge those batteries? All right, Oil, we got we to we we move text. on. We're running
0: out of time here. But r- real ahead. quick, I just want to say about that. If we moved over to lawn equipment powered by plutonium or uranium, what kind of disaster are the meth heads going to create next? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of, of midnight wrench turning, and they're going to open this up and then stockpile massive amounts of uranium and plutonium glow in the middle of night. And, uh, I don't know, maybe that makes them easier to identify and then we can just encase them in lead and be done with it. I don't know. sounds actually kind of like positive now that we say it out loud. Um, there's nothing better than encasing <laughs> methods in lead structures, right? Uh, France threatened with counter. legal
1: action. Do what? I said, just give everybody a Geiger counter. We're good.
0: It's <laughs> <France laughs> threatened with legal action over use of pesticides. And I'm going to go ahead and say, this article is from The Guardian, and I feel like every time we have an article from The from the Guardian, I get really triggered. Um, the French government is being threatened with court action by two NGOs who accuse it of failing to meet its obligations to protect nature. Uh, the Notre Affaire à tout Apolline uh, Apollini have issued an ultimatum to the French state for failing to tackle the biodiversity crisis by implementing adequate laws and regulations. The announcement was made at the IUCN World Conservation Congress in the French port of Marseille and will be followed by a civil disobedience rally. What they have done is by allowing the systemic use of these chemicals, glyphosate and neonicotinoids, the French state has failed its duty of care to the country's wildlife, the two NGOs argue. Uh, civil society has been trying for decades to pass on this expertise to authorities and offer solutions in vain. The law must now intervene. The 19th century saw the birth of human rights, the 20th century, the birth of social rights in the 21st century, the rights of nature. It is time for the French government to be held accountable for the collapse of the living world and to respect its commitments. Gentlemen, (laughs) how overdramatic is that? There is another quote in here that I saw. um, uh, The figures of the current collapse are appalling. The generalized decline in biodiversity will have dramatic consequences on the balance of life and threatens the future of the next generation's uh, but it was—I think it was really that line right there—that um, France has single-handedly, or the French government, has led to the collapse of the living world.
1: I. Well, I got to say, the pot's a lot stronger over there in France. Yeah. <laughs> These people.
2: Is, is, hey, when we
1: talk about balance, right? We were talking about
0: balance before.
2: Is this is this
0: moving into the world? I mean, is this just reciprocation of clown world? Is this is this clown world also taking place in France that that we recognize here? These are strong we, accusations. These are strong <laughs> strong words, and it just sounds like buffoonery. I don't understand how anybody can read this and just be like. Boys, I read an article today. <laughs> France is the number one contributor to the collapse of all things living. And we've got to do something about it.
2: Well, goody, Matt. I, I'm, you know what? <laughs> go ahead, Ray. Here, here's, here's the thing about these hypocrites. And I'm going to use this word because they regulate and legislate agriculture out of functioning in their own country but they have no trouble accepting imports from their former colonies in africa where Mm -hmm. there are no restrictions on the very things that are banned in the eu okay because i've mentioned many times on this show and the other show about how that's a sore subject with me about how we say oh no 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 you cannot do that in agriculture say here in hawaii or in the eu or you know in the united states at large but it's perfectly cool if those things happen in south america asia or africa we'll just uh let them poison their people and dirty their environment, and we'll just we'll just take the end product from them. And the French are doing the same thing.
1: Same thing with the power, just like we talked about, with you know the electric batteries and all that other stuff. I, you know, the, this, to me, and I agree with Matt. Your comment at the top of this, right, is that you know this this wasn't a news article per se. This was written with an audience in mind, somebody who would be outraged, somebody who would be triggered and somebody who would like and share this right to show people their outrage and virtue signal and all the other bullshit. Right. And (laughs) here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that ag in this country or anywhere else in the world is completely innocent of doing crude shit to the world. Right. Right every other industry in the in the history of human history could say that the same thing right like everything that we've done has been you know with the eye in mind of either making more money helping people live better right and sometimes that doesn't always line with environmental responsibility all that said to sit there and say that one government one country has destroyed the living world like you've done one, two money hits on the peace pipe to come back and say something like that. And really, like, like somebody said that, and they didn't say that in jest. Like, they really believe that. And that is, that's just they meant, scary.
2: They meant it. I mean, they, they're basically accusing the French government of being destructors of the environment, yet what I know about France and the European Union is Once the EU was formed, all the fun in agriculture and turf is over. Right, Ryan? Once the EU was formed, all all the fun was over because prior to the EU being formed, the EU or Europe did crazier stuff agriculture-wise than what we would do in the United States. (laughs)
0: And here's the other thing. The EU has already banned the use of neonicotinoids. It's only used in uh, uh, case-by-case scenarios with permits, right? With you, you, mm-hmm. You've got to get approved to be able to use it. It's already under restriction. It's already only being used in case-by-case scenarios. Now they're saying, you know what? It's not enough. We need to sue the absolute hell out of them and, uh, because people are still continuing to use it. I hate to be this crass. And when I read things like this, I, 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 I want to meet it with an equal reciprocating viewpoint, right? And my equal reciprocating viewpoint is go ahead, do away with all of it, switch to glufosinate, get rid of glyphosate, uh, uh, do away with your neonicotinoids, and let people start to starve. And then let's reassess it from a more pragmatic viewpoint, right? Where can we find the middle ground between these two? Because unfortunately, unfortunately, that is the type of extreme we play with when we're talking about interrupting food supply. People starving. Who is genuinely okay knowing there are people out there starving? The most torturous death imaginable. We're not there yet, and that's probably why they're having to import things from Africa as freely as they want to. And do is to meet the demands nutritionally of food substance. Yes. And, you because, know, when you you know, you're putting yourself in, into this type of situation,
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: I don't know. How much further is it going to go? This may be tossed out immediately and it means absolutely nothing. And this is just a, 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 this is Im- high impact journalism from the Guardian here, and if we go down to the bottom article, you know they they immediately follow this article with, "We have a small favor to ask. Tens of million have placed their trust in the Guardian's high impact journalism. The only high impact here uh, that that they have brought to the table is the fact that um, this is this is insane. It's absolutely clown world. Uh, it's not fair to address it this way." Um, there's nothing that even promotes a, a a a different viewpoint than what's what's brought up here and, uh, and its trash in my opinion just my opinion um yeah gentlemen let's move on to the returns
2: la 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 la, la.
0: That was me last night at about midnight, jumping on a Zoom with Ryan DeMay. (sighs) Gentlemen, the first uh, article we have to look at here is Drought Sparks Interest in Water-Saving Alternatives to Thirsty Lawns. Like elsewhere across the state, rain has been scarce this summer at University of Minnesota's Turfgrass Research Outreach and Education Center, making it a perfect year to study how well grass can survive in a drought. Uh, the university extension educator, Maggie Ryder, phenomenal researcher, checks on science on a science experiment that looks more like a big patchwork quilt. She inspects a couple dozen square patches of grass ranging from color, uh, from bright green to dingy brown, all planted in different combinations of green seed. One particularly scraggly patch is completely brown with the weeds creeping in along the edge. She says it's Kentucky bluegrass. It's what we've used historically. However, we're seeing now that we may need to make change. It's complete, uh, then she points to a different with hard fescue. It's completely green, maintained, has great density, and no weeds in this plot at all. The university's research team is uh, promoting different types of grass that require less water and chemicals to thrive. I quote, that's something we've seen a lot of this year. I think it's gotten people to consider more that uh, what they have in their lawns and what's required to maintain it at the expectations they have. I'd say we're hoping 2021 is kind of a wake-up call to Minnesota home lawn lawn owners. This is... Now, I didn't get into the part of automations, and Ryan, you shared this, and I'll let you kind of dive into this. This is... This is is interesting. Hard fescue has generally been regarded as more of a weed, right? But what we're seeing is a turf type that is resisting extreme drought is resisting weed pressure. Have we kind of unpacked something or let me put it, phrase it this way from our breeding standpoints as, as turf grass researchers, should we be looking at progressing the genetics of these types of, of, uh, of turf types, and breeding for color that all of a sudden makes it like a home run in the home lawn world, right? No, well,
1: I mean the uh, the folks there at UMN in Minnesota have done a, a really fantastic job of, you know, taking what they just observed, right, empirically and anecdotally, with some of the fine fescue species up there, and over the last oh, ten or so years, especially really pushing very far very fast in terms of their uh, research and breeding efforts right into uh, those families of grasses right so with fine fescues you know we talk about hard fescue we talk about chewing fescue red uh, creeping fescue chewing sheeps blue like there's there's a lot going on there and so I think it's really examining what is going to work right in terms of A lawn space and particularly with these with fine fescue very low inputs needed right so i think the 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 most important thing here is are we putting plants out of place right that's the definition of a weed right ray plant out of place yes and i think that this this year has identified that kentucky bluegrass in minnesota if it's not highly managed and highly irrigated is kind of a loser right? And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the other thing too, is that I like that they're challenging dogma, right? That, Hey, if you want to have a beautiful lush green lawn in the state of Minnesota, you've got to have perennial or, you know, perennial ryegrass, which doesn't survive the winter up there. You got to have tall fescue. No, That doesn't survive the winter either. Now you got to have Kentucky bluegrass. Well, it got its ass kicked this year. So is that really what needs to happen? And, you know, we were talking about this before in the, uh, pre-show in the patreon portion of the show that evolving thoughts are okay right that's the whole name of the game in this industry and in any discipline of science and this is a, a just another case where i think people for a long time have shit on fine fescue and just said hey it's a shade grass you'll put it in shade mixes or sun and shade mixes just as a component of it and whatever hey no big deal but now right we're finding that it can be a predominant species in a lawn and look pretty darn good so i don't know gentlemen i don't know what you think you know i i'm enlightened um and i'm hopeful that they can continue to push a little bit further with this and convince people to make the change
2: you know i i'm kind of in favor too because as you know i am an absolute hater on the convention you know in terms of selecting turf grass varieties, right? I'm also not a fan of people being avant garde and experimental without actually doing their real homework. Because I was telling you, Ryan, for mm-hmm. me, what is not avant garde, experimental, and has been tried and true has been Bermuda. And the new varieties of Bermuda that are bred to maintain color and density in spite of, you know, adverse environmental conditions, I'm giving them a second look because, for example, the old standard here was Tiff Green 328, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that that grass can be rather fragile. I get it. You know, I understand. But. The new varieties, for example, coming out are nowhere near that. Like take, for example, your Tahoma 31, your Tif Grand. Green as can be with almost no nitrogen applied per year. Yep. You can't do that to 328 because if you hold the nitrogen on 328, guess what color it turns?
3: Gray. <laughs> Pur- purple. It,
2: it turns gray. And it's and it and it thins out and it can't handle being mowed anymore. But in the case of this hard fescue, that would be something I'd like to see in your average upper midwestern lawn. Because you know, it can handle dry weather, it can get by on less fertilizer. You know, I, I consider that a positive.
0: You know, if if there's we are under the scrutiny unlike we've never been before in this industry right and for umn to take that head on and provide research driven alternatives to what we're currently doing shows the evolution of the industry and i think that is you cannot place the value on that it's too great um so what I think we should all do, and it may inspire breeders to take these these types and develop new cultivars from them that make them even more appealing in even high-end lawn situations, right? And then uh, I, and we, we have to acknowledge how the growing regions are changing, right? Like I know specifically where I am in Knoxville, and it's not to say this is going to be this way forever, but at least where I am right now, though it's been a predominantly uh, fescue-dominated market, Bermuda is performing better here year over year than fescue is. Things are shifting. It makes sense right now to have a Bermuda lawn. It does not make a whole lot of sense to have a tall fescue lawn here, uh, and, except in very specific situations. You talk about uh, um, uh, you know, specifically right plant, right place, right? Are we growing the wrong plants in the wrong places? 100%. 100%. I'm thrilled that we now have a research-backed uh, 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 process here for us to be able to take this data and make changes and show that as an industry we are evolving because because we we definitely are and and I think a light needs to be shown on that instead of like we saw last week which was lawns are bad kill them all get rid of it right. Um, okay. The next article here, Insight into Power Generation and Photosynthesis Made Lead to More Resilient Crops. This is a heady, heady article here, uh, and I'm not going to go too far into the specifics of it, but in effect, what they have discovered is uh, one of the processes that leads to the production of ATP they have been able to map out. And what they are referring to as the photosynthetic complex PSC one, and effectively what they have relayed this is to the water level above a dam, uh, uh, you know, an energy generating dam, right? And uh, and so they're hoping that now they have been able to identify this process, map it, it will allow them to manipulate. Uh, these photosynthetic properties through different methods. They even talk about you know photosynthetic bacteria for biotechnical purposes uh, to hopefully be able to produce new plants, new crops that can better withstand uh, the stresses that that are that are faced out in the environment. I thought it was pretty cool. This is on the high end, you know, technical side of of plant genetics and. With this being identified now, does it make it uh, easier to go in? Now that we have a better understanding of this, does it make it easier to go in and take advantage of some of the gene editing techniques we have at our disposal now and make changes to plants? I don't know. I don't know that answer. I'm not a geneticist and I don't even know what really the word gene means, um, but I think it's cool nonetheless. When we were talking about the evolution of the industry and the evolution of crop production, I think it's an important piece and I'm glad that we're making headway in.
1: I just think it shows just uh, again in people here, here's, here's the overriding message for me is that especially in the lawn care space, people want answers, right? Hey, why is this like this? How did it get this way? Tell me what to do. Just, you know, I I don't care about any of the how or why BS, right? Um, you know, I don't have a mentor to tell me the why. So, um, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Right. And in those instances, like, there is so much that we don't know. there's so much that we don't know and i'll I'll even tease this out here too that you know there's there's a lot of stuff going around this week about turf truth and and all this and that, and you know what I think it's great that somebody's you know pointing the lens on things that you know not necessarily about exposing people and all that kind of stuff, but just the science behind what we do right and what we do know, and I think the point That should be taken by everybody, right? Turf truth included is that there is so much that we still don't know yet about turf in particular, right? And about specific turf types and about different species and even different cultivars, right? So much of what we do is anecdotal because the money's not there, the methods aren't there to do this, right? And the will of the industry as a whole is to put it in the hands of manufacturers and people that have the money that are only out there to get more money from you as the consumer. And so I applaud these people for doing something. In the interest of science in general, but particularly botany, right, which we will benefit from, that hopefully will, like what Matt said, you know, lead to, you know, improvements of, hey, now we have another metric that we can look at when we evaluate a species or a cultivar, right, coming to market. These are important things, and it's these very, very, very small steps, Ray, that are going to get us to where we need to go. It's not going to be some transformational bullshit product that you know puts red white and blue in the bag and everybody gets a fucking burr up their ass and decides to spread it yeah that's not the way to that's not the way to do it it's going to be science that does this
2: Yes, it's going to be a little fired up no no problem because you know i am all for positive and predictable changes to you know The genetic makeup and the genetic expression of uh, various things, as long as we always keep track of what happens if. Because me personally, I'm forever leery of certain genetic traits being inserted into plants. You know, I'm leery of it, but I'm in favor of it provided. Whoever's doing it goes out and does it and has a very clear eye as to being able to explain if I do A, B will happen. And It's a tough if it's thing. Predictable, and- if, <laughs> if, it's, if it's predictable, if it's controllable, and if somebody doesn't say, whoops, I wasn't expecting that. We we stressed it up. I mean, as long as oh yeah, but you know I'm okay with it. Here's
1: here's the difference, and this last thing I was saying this because I know we need to move on is that, um, it's one thing to do studies on applied science, right? And you know, set up an experiment and uh, pull data and map out the results, right? And that's one study in one short time span of one year, two year, three years, five years, something like that, right? This is an advancement in science, right? Like they have mapped this process out and surely there's going to be more that we learn from it, right? As we continue to go. But this is something that, you know, once we understand how it works, right, there's no going back, right? It's only going forward. You know, if we were to conduct the same replicated research in you know, another site for whatever product or whatever practice we might not get the same results, right? So I'm all for these kind of advancements um, over the product studies and the efficacy studies. All right, we'll move
0: on to the final return here. And I want to go back to the article where we talk about the hemp plants pulling toxic forever chemicals from soil, right? The PFAs. So what's interesting about this is what they're trying to do is quantify at what rate the PFAs are being removed from water and soil, right? And what I was curious about is what other plants out there exist right now that have this ability and beyond that, how would it compare versus hemp, right? We don't have the total metrics as far as what hemp is removing, but we can at least look from a secondary practicality standpoint of what other uses we may have out of these other plants. And specifically, what we have found is uh, uh, Ariforum angustifolium, which is also known as cotton grass, which is popular in the, in the EU, but it is native to North America, is a very good remover of this specific grass. However, there were no other uses for it. Another one is Salix Viminalis, uh, which is also it's a, a variety of uh, of willow, uh, has shown great efficacy in removing PFAS from the soil. Again, no other real use for it. And then we also have um, Carex rostrata, which is a you know more of a, a traditional sedge that we see. Um, again, so in terms of what. We have identified as a community as being able to solve problems with PFAs from the soil. We have, in effect, sedge species or willow species, which are, you know, they tolerate growing in wet conditions really well. That's, you know, their primary use. And then we've got hemp. I think it stands for a, I, I think the, the, Being able to take it as uh, an industrial product and and, convert it, you know, industrial hemp production where you've got these secondary effects of being used as fibers and various different applications. um, I think that makes it even greater of an output versus, you know, a a sedge because planting a bunch of sedges is fine and great. And, uh, and, but, but, There's no net gain on this, right? You've got sedges in place. You're removing it from the soil, but you have no use of the sedge. It's not a harvestable crop, right?
2: Or am I overlooking
0: it? Do y'all know of any uses of sedge out there other than just being a grass?
2: I don't know of any.
1: Not that I'm aware of. Just like willow trees are basically useless. In my book. Now... And in this, and I'll I'll end with this right here, is
0: um, either singularly used, either of these uh, three different species of plants or used in combination, they were very effective in removing PFAs from the soil. So I think the big piece here we have to, to make sure is that um, as we do quantify at what rate the PFAs are removed from the soil, make sure that it is at least at, a high enough rate that it makes more sense to industrially uh, 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 manage this land with hemp versus uh, converting it into a wasteland with sedges, specifically.
2: Well, all right, I, gentlemen,
0: what? Go, go ahead, Ray. Go ahead.
2: Well, I'm just seeing how, rather than environmental remediation being a money pit and a hole where. You throw money into it. If you had hemp, what if you then harvested that hemp, turned it into fiber, and recouped some of your cost of environmental remediation out of it? Then I I consider that a positive situation.
1: I think Ray just made a slide on the pitch deck.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, because I'm just thinking... Every time somebody says environmental remediation, I imagine putting money into a garbage can and never seeing that money again. It's gone.
1: <laughs> Light it on fire. Yeah,
3: burn it. <laughs>
0: there's, there's a lot there. Um, oh man, yeah, so much. And, and, and as, as the data comes in, you know, I think this will be a fun one to stay in tune with. And, you know, everybody that gets nervous around uh, hemp or any, any cannabis, you know, I think this is going to be great to show uh, a, a real world application where the net effect is so great that you would be an absolute buffoon to ignore uh, the production of, of hemp or cannabis in this type of situation. And and this is, you know, I'm not a user at all, 100%. That is not the direction I like to go. Uh, but I think that the the overall net benefit of it just so outweighs whatever perceived negative there is about it, that it would, you would just be, as, as a society, we would be just dumb to toss it to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, let's check out the mailbag. You've got Ooh. mail this one comes from David the bluegrass Buddha for you I love that name um uh, I am going to be moving my LCO to a more eco-focused situation I'm toying with the idea of applying most of my nitrogen for the year using a duration CR or a one app product transporting pellets of fertilizer pallets of fertilizer and loading the ground with crop producing growth Five times a year is exhausting, and at this point seems wasteful when I could reduce my overall end use and focus on color, weeds, health, and just being able to do more for my customers all year. Do you have a suggestion or breakdown on these season-long fertilizers? There's David, a you are my people. To, David, there's a lot to unpack people. here. Um, hey, hey... the. Go Get, ahead. Dive into this. Dive into this and talk about where this, what your, what your Willie?
3: Talking to you, Ryan. I think yeah. Ryan may have seized Keith, up here. There you he go. I, oh, I froze. I, he's I froze. Back. For
0: he's a back. Second. He's
1: back. My camera's about to die too. Anyhow. Um, hey, I think there's a business model here. I really do. We've talked about it before. I think there's a way to do this and to still make the same amount of money, make better margins, have more customers, right? More throughput because you have more time. There goes my camera. Don't worry about that. I'm still talking. But anyhow, my big picture answer is yes, you can absolutely do it. My uh lower level answer is David, come on our show sometime this off season cuz we're we're booked out through like damn near Thanksgiving right now. And let's talk about it. I think it'd be great. Don't you guys?
2: Yes. One, yes. I mean, 100%. Let, yeah. You know, let's talk about this and really, you know, pick this apart and put it back together and not oversimplify the answer. Absolutely. Because, you know, I think one app in a Midwestern cool season area that can be a good. You know, good thing provi- provided provided you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Provided you know what you're getting into. You know?
1: Yeah. Come on the show, David. I'm 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 imploring you and we'll we'll sick our producer on you, who can be very persistent, by the way, right? And He'll persuasive and oh incredibly <laughs> persuasive. Have you seen his smile before? The guy should be a politician. He really should. Hickerton for president. I'll vote for him (laughs) right now. And he's giving me a scam warning. Come on.
2: (laughs) About ready to mute your mic. (laughs) (laughs) There is there is a lot to unpack here. here,
0: (laughs) You know, listen, uh, uh, David. There is. the way you spell it out sounds great and awesome but like ray said that it it needs to be broken down and put back together it's not quite as simple as you make it sound there are advantages that you highlighted here that are real there's also some disadvantages that you have to take into place not necessarily many but you have to understand the the timing and the accuracy and the nuance of it and product selection um because They are not all equal in terms of how they release, how they feed, and uh, you also have to understand what your nutrient demand is going to be over the time period. You you have to be more in tune with what your nutrient demand is over the time period that you apply.
1: I feel like, Um, I think it's not quite a a set it
0: and forget it type thing.
1: Correct. That's that's the thing. You you got to. This is why you need to come on because one, I want to make sure that we. Collectively manage expectations the right way. But also, I think there is a way to do it. And I think if we went round by round, just like we have with all these other folks, right? I think we can probably, I don't want to say Frankenstein a program together, but I think we can come up with a very logical and sound program that for the majority of this person's lawns, right? Because that's the other thing, too, is that. This ain't gonna work everywhere. You're gonna have to know the ones that like eh, like this isn't gonna fit the mold and I've gotta do something different over here. And that could be tough. So David, get on the show. Just do it. Yep. Don't fear commitment. Just
0: come yep. with us. One more thing I wanted to talk about here, Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. Uh, like like Ryan just mentioned here, we are booked up pretty much through the end of November. If it's something you want to be on, listen, it is it is growing so fast that we are not reaching out to people. But if you want to be on the show, by all means, feel free to contact us. Mail at thegrassfactor.tv. Um, it's more free flowing, more stream of consciousness, and we just it's it's purely designed to help the guest who's on or to be able to bring a guest on that is going to be able to share some fantastic information with you, the viewer or listener uh, to hopefully help you in either your business operation or even your home lawn. We're, we're not going to be uh, singling out, you know, one specific way or another. If you're interested, mail at thegrassfactor.tv. That is every Thursday, every Thursday, except for coming up at the end of September. We're going to have to do it on a Friday because my son's turning nine and I promised him I would do something with him. Uh, that is Thursday at 9 p.m. We do a show before the show at 8 p.m. And then we do a show after the show that is for uh, grownups only. Uh, it is even more of a free-for-all. Fair number of bad words. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're into that kind of thing, consider becoming a member at the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash burn and return, and you will get access to the off-air content that we continue to produce. Gentlemen, any closing remarks?
1: You know, it was a fun show and I, I've had this lingering anxiety sitting here since you read the Hone Health ad because you talked about the Fifth of Whiskey, which I really don't particularly care for the brown water of any type, but all I could think was I'm so inadequate because I'm sitting here with the Green Doc and the Liquor Dick Doc. So I thank you both for being here <laughs> with a chode like me tonight. I'm really I'm really honored that I can sit here with, with you guys.
0: Ray, give us give us one breath of posit- positivity to take in to the rest of this week.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and likewise, I'm truly blessed where you guys are not going to stuff me into the locker or the trash can, <laughs> or try to at least. And by the way, the last no. person that tried to do that, it ended so badly for them. What's they happening? no longer, they, they no longer have, him, have a lawn,
1: and they will never have a lawn.
0: Ray, are they capable of walking? Yeah. That's all I need to know. Let's just say <laughs> <laughs> if you want to help us pick the title of this show head on over to the discord hashtag dirty deeds in that particular section of the server and uh you know if we like your title then it will be the name of this episode check it out meet us over at the discord until then we'll see y'all on Thirsty Thursday thursday